back to another episode of the Sly Hooper Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. Nope, we are not talking football this time around. I think I got all my football and Niner takes out. Well, not my football thoughts, but definitely my Niner takes. Still very happy with the draft. Still very happy we didn't take Mac Jones. But we're not talking about that today because, uh, one, we need to talk some hoops. And two, there just seems to be some, um, let's just say discourse, so to speak. And there's always going to be discourse on the internet and the basketball community and, you know, take them and take them kingdom at large. So I just wanted to be the 50,000th person to chime in on really what is the hot topic right now, especially with five games left in the season, five or six, give or take. Uh, the MVP award, and um, it's over, guys. Nikola Jokic is the MVP, and quite frankly, I reached the point a few weeks ago, I know some people probably a month ago, definitely when Embiid went down, I know the Jokic, you know, brigade, and I love Nikola Jokic. Just want to emphasize this before we even dive into this conversation. I love big men. I am a huge Nikola Jokic fan. I was a huge fan of Nikola Jokic when he was starting alongside Yusuf Nurkic. And it was like, should we play them together? Should we start one, bring one off the bench? Which one do we keep? And they ended up trading away the the right one. I thought Portland, you know, did well getting Nurkic, who I really liked. But I thought Denver did made the right move keeping somebody like Jokic. Because even when he was a rookie and in his second year, he was throwing... Some of the craziest passes I have ever seen. I've talked about this before. I am a Jokic guy. And yes, I am a Sixer fan who I would take Joel Embiid over Nikola Jokic. But that is not a slight on Jokic. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Jokic doesn't have a case of being a better player than Embiid. I would disagree with that because I do think both sides of the floor are important. And while Jokic is solid on defense. He can he has a high basketball IQ. He's very active with his hands, especially more so this year and he's in better shape so he doesn't, you know, appear as slow. I do think you know the analytics Twitter types, the Andy Baileys or whoever will definitely try to lie and say that Jokic is an elite defender or a very good defender, which I do not agree with whatsoever because I do think you can attack Jokic at the rim pretty easily. Well, not pretty easily, but relative to all the other centers in the NBA that are good at rim protection, which is very important for a center who plays the most important position on defense in basketball. I do think Jokic and his skills on defense, the pendulum swings too far in either direction. I am a big Nikola Jokic fan. He is easily the greatest passing big man ever and I say that pretty easily and I know there's Bill Walton and Arvita Sabonis and all those guys but I don't care because I didn't see them I liked seeing their highlights and all that but I just think no I've never seen a big man even while looking at past highlights and games or what have you of other great passing bigs and passing bigs of yesteryear they're not making the type of passes that Jokic makes now you can maybe say that you know you can bring if you brought Bill Walton or Arvidas, you know, prime Arvidas a bonus, not the one that came over in Portland. If you brought them over to today's NBA and had them passing more from the high post, handling the ball more often, et cetera, et cetera, 
maybe their passing skills would be more accentuated. But I just feel like Jokic's absolute feel for finding cutters, passing guys open like a damn quarterback, borderline quarterback, um, all the passes, the full transition passes, the how seamless he makes it. The one-handed full-court transition passes are some of the most fun Jokic passes that I love watching. The fact that he could find guys like Murray and Jokic had such a great chemistry. Gary Harris early on, whenever Gary Harris wasn't hurt, Jokic can just find anybody. And you better be ready to have your hands up because if you're open, he'll see you and he'll drop you a dime. He is one of the greatest offensive centers already of all time. And by the end of his career, he's going to be one of the greatest players in NBA history. He is the MVP. And for me, when um, Jamal Murray went down against the Warriors, I remember watching that game and I was just thinking, man, the Nuggets shot at being a contender was over because I thought Aaron Gordon solidified that starting lineup and moved everything right into place. Jokic and Murray are obviously the star players. Michael Porter Jr., who has been on fire since Murray's injury, was still emerging was really taking a nice leap this year as a third star scorer. Um, but now he's obviously elevated his game since Murray left. Um, Aaron Gordon, the switchable big that can do everything, that can defend everything, doesn't have to, you know, be the number one option like he was in Orlando. He can kind of just be a jack of all trades, master of none, while being an athletic switchable four that with great cutting instincts that can pair well with Jokic. I thought the Nuggets had a... I was about to make the Nuggets my second best team in the Western Conference, barring, you know, Lakers health, and even now that's looking more and more perilous. But when Murray went down, I was like, well, shit. The Nuggets' title hopes are finished. And they might still be finished, but you would think when a team loses their second best player, they would, you know, decline a, decline a little bit. But no. Jokic has solidified his MVP these last few weeks in the 12 games Murray has been gone. So I'm going to pull out my handy-dandy notebook here, and I'm going to read you off Jokic's season stats and then compare them to the last 12 games that he has uh, been producing in. So this season, Jokic has averaged 26.6 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, and 8.4 assists, 56.5 field goal percentage, 40.5% from three, 85.8% from the free throw line on a 64.5 true shooting percentage. Now, his number since Murray has been gone, 27.5 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, 7 assists per game. Obviously, the assists went down a little bit because Murray's gone and now Jokic has to score a little bit more. But still maintaining his field goal percentage, his three-point percentage, I believe, is like 35% in this time. But he's still he's taking more free throws in this stretch and shooting nearly 87% from the free throw line. And the Nuggets are 10-2 and two since the Murray injury. And they are still, I believe, last I checked, two and a half games back of the number one seed in the Western Conference, potentially, with five or six games left. It's not impossible. But come on. What are we doing here? Like, Jokic is the MVP. And the reason I'm saying this is because there has been this really weird and strange push for Chris Paul to be the MVP. And this is going to be the part that I hate most about this podcast because 
I love Chris Paul, and it's going to sound like I'm tearing down another player to prop up another, but I'm not. Chris Paul has been spectacular. He has made Phoenix a contender in the Western Conference. I will also say that the Suns were already on an upward trajectory in the bubble. Their season kind of got derailed to start last year because Aiton got suspended for 25 games. But then when he came back, the Suns were 500 when Aiton played. And then in the bubble, we all know what happened. They went 8-0. and And they were already, I thought they were on a trajectory to be a playoff team even without CP3. But then when they made the trade for CP3, it was like, oh, okay. They're going to be a top five seed in the West. They have blown past expectations this year. At one point, they had the number one seed, but now they're the number two seed again. And Chris Paul has been the most important player to that team. I think he should be on some MVP ballots. But I would probably put him fifth on my MVP ballot. That doesn't mean he should win it. But I've seen a lot of national talking heads basically stirring up Twitter with their hot takes over the last few weeks. First, it was Kendrick Perkins. Then it was Nick Wright. Then it was, you know, people on Fo- uh, over on the Fox Sports side, ESPN. They're pining for Chris Paul to win MVP. And it's just not the case I'm like he's not the MVP so let me read off some Chris Paul stats for you because he's been incredible this year so I want to make sure I get this out there first he's averaging 16.2 points per game nearly nine assists per game uh four and a half rebounds on 49 percent shooting from the field 38.8 percent from three and 93.5 percent from the free throw line he's bringing his usual defense by the way we talk about how you know LeBron is an anomaly when it comes to, you know, being able to age well and still stay in physical shape while being 35 years old. What Chris Paul is doing is special. There is no way a point guard of that size. Him and Kyle Lowry, while we're at it, Kyle Lowry, too. Kyle Lowry, I think, is 35. And short point guards just aren't supposed to age well. And yet... Chris Paul is still a top 15 to 20 player in the NBA. He brings winning wherever he goes. Look at where the Thunder at right now. Now, some of it, obviously, a lot of it, actually, is Shea Gilgis-Alexander and, you know, some of the veterans that have left. Al Horford's chilling on the couch right now. Um, Maybe he's listening to this podcast. I don't know. But uh, George Hill is gone now. He's with the Sixers, and it's just a bunch of young guys, and they are basically resting Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who has a uh, foot injury. And the Thunder were a playing team when Shea was playing, but the Thunder were a 47-win team last year that went seven games with the Houston Rockets last in the bubble with Chris Paul on the team. I say all that to make the point that Chris Paul has been great for the Suns, the most important player on the Suns. He should be a top five MVP candidate on the ballot, not the MVP. And he's not the best player on his team. It's Devin Booker. Devin Armani Booker is commanding triple teams, double teams. He's their best offensive player. And I have some stats for you to read. I have some... uh, Stats for you to read off. And I've watched a lot of Suns this year. One of my best friends, shout out to the homie George, is a Suns fan. I root for my friends' teams. I watch them, especially the Suns, because I felt like they were kind of the uh, 
Western Conference version of, you know, some elements of the process. I don't think they were I don't think they were intentionally tanking. I just thought they were tanking because they were incompetent because, you know, Robert Sarver's not the uh, most adept owner, I should say. Um, but, you know, James Jones, Monty Williams, they have all turned that around. Um, and obviously bringing in Chris Paul and a few other veterans. But it's not just that Chris Paul has, and I'll read off the stats in a second, but I just want to make this point first. It's not just that Chris Paul was, you know, the cherry on top to this, you know, blossoming roster. The other players got better too. Booker, Aiton has finally found his stride. I think he's realized now that he's not going to be the 25 and 10 guy that maybe he was probably expecting this year, but he's going to run the floor. He's going to finish. He's going to take his mid-range jumpers, and he's just going to be an anchor on defense where he is really adept at switching. And he has been playing a hell of a lot better the last two months because, man, there were some up and down moments where, you know, there were times where it's like, oh, okay, Aiton is, you know, you know, making an impact on this game. And then there are times where, you know, he disappears for stretches. And there were times where Dario Saric was closing out games at the five. And, you know, other options at the five. But Aiton has been playing really damn well. And that's, it goes back to my point, Mikel Bridges, by the way, I forgot to mention him. And by the way, I'm going to block some of my, I'm going to block George and some of my son's uh, fan friends if they keep bringing up Mikel Bridges, although I keep bringing up Mikel Bridges myself, but that trade that the Sixers made was fucking terrible in retrospect. I don't care what it was from a value standpoint. I got it at the time, but that trade is awful. I'm just sitting here imagining what, you know, maybe we don't get Matisse Thibel the next year if we had kept Bridges in the 2018 draft, but I'm just imagining a Thibel, Bridges, Simmons, Embiid, and maybe a Danny Green lineup. You know, you're just putting people in jail at that point, you know? But Mikael Bridges has been spectacular for the Suns. He's going to get paid this summer because he's not just a 3 and D guy. He's a 3 and D guy that does a little bit more, and he's been spectacular. So it's a confluence of things. It is a combination of Chris Paul bringing his Hall of Fame-level pedigree to the team on top of a Suns team where, you know, at least their big main three pieces, their main young pieces, Aiton, Booker, and Bridges, have all taken a jump. Jay Crowder has been important. Dario Saric has been important at times, even though he's probably looking like he's not going to close out games anymore, especially because he was he's he's been, you know, struggling, shooting, you know. Shout out to the homie Dario. That's his nickname, the homie. But he has been struggling as well. It's just, you know, the team was already kind of on the rise. So people are really inflating Chris Paul to the point where it's like, oh, he should get all the credit, so that means he's MVP. Let me read you some stats here. So Chris Paul on the court, obviously the Suns are good. They're plus six net rating-wise. Got these numbers from cleaning the glass. Off the court, the Suns are still good at plus at plus 5.4. But here's the kicker, and this is where – you know, Devin Booker stockholders like myself who had been, you know, constantly, you know, annoyed at all the hemming and hawing about his stats over the years on a winning, t on a losing team, even though he was putting up, you know, league average efficiency on terrible teams. This is where 
the Booker stockholders like myself get to puff out our chest a little bit. So, this season, Devin Booker, without Chris Paul on the court, a plus 7.3 with a 121.8 offensive rating. Obviously, the defensive rating is, you know, down a little bit. They It is a 113, so the defense does slip a little bit. But with Chris Paul on the court, you know, it's still good. It, it's it's still, you know, it's marginally worse, but it's still really good. It's a plus 6.6 and a plus, and obviously a 119.5 offensive rating. But the other way, CP3 without book, plus 5.8, 109.6 offensive rating. The defense is where, obviously, it helps out Chris a little bit because he's one of the greatest point guard defenders of all time. And it bears out on film when you watch it, in the games when you watch it. Devin Booker is the Suns' best player, the most talented player, the guy that you worry about in crunch time. You obviously worry about Chris Paul in crunch time because he's legendary in those situations. But Devin Booker is the 6'6", ball-handling, mid-range assassin that can also pull up from three off the dribble that teams worry about. I can tell you, as a Sixer fan who has watched Booker repeatedly torch my team over the last three years, that he's still scary. Even when the two Suns games this year would have much rather have had Chris Paul try to take over, even though that probably would have been death. That would have been, you know, losing to Chris Paul in the clutch would have been, you know, death by 100 paper cuts. Losing to Devin Booker is like in the clutch is like taking a samurai sword or an or Excalibur because he he scores over triple teams double teams he's an adept passer he can find the right he makes the right reads Devin Booker is the best player but that doesn't discredit Chris Paul because Chris Paul and his impact has made the Suns a really good team but he's not the MVP it's Nikola Jokic Jokic is the MVP, and it's not a debate. And I, and look, there's probably the natural human reaction because, like I mentioned earlier, you know, nerd Twitter, analytics Twitter, the Andy Bailey types, the Seth Partnow types, what whoever the usual suspects are, whenever they do the whole it's not a debate thing, especially when we're midway through a season or something like that, they it's it, the conversation tends to be condescending, like they're talking down to you. So naturally, you want to push back and stuff like that. But just look at the Nuggets and watch a damn Nuggets game. Jokic has been incredible. And it annoys me when national media heads like Nick Wright earlier today was just, it was just reprehensible, honestly. <laughs> like, he should be put in basketball jail for what he was saying on Instagram Live. Because, you know, this week on his show, he was puffing out his chest saying Chris Paul should be the MVP you know, he doesn't understand why Jokic is considered the no-brainer MVP. Well, just look at all the stats I listed off and look at where the Nuggets record is. And then he went on Instagram Live and basically said what we all thought. Talking about Nikola Jokic doesn't get ratings, so he doesn't want to say Nikola Jokic is the MVP. And it's not one of those 30-second clips where it was taken out of context. You can directly discern what he was trying to say there. Like, really? You want to draw up interest in the NBA for other players? Talk about those other players. Don't cop out to the ratings excuse because Chris Paul is a notable name and Nikola Jokic is somehow not, even though he's been dominant in the playoffs the last two years, historically dominant. 
Are you kidding me? And that's a disrespect to Chris Paul, too. Because you should be making a legitimate case for Chris Paul if you truly believe that Chris Paul should be the MVP. Even though all the cases I've heard is like, okay, but Jokic's cases are better. The other clue that you should have, and anybody that has Chris Paul or anybody not, or anybody who has Chris Paul two or three or whatever, notice how Suns fans are not pushing back whenever people are saying Chris Paul isn't the MVP. They're agreeing with us. They're saying, look, yeah, look, it's hard to determine who's all important because everybody has played well this year. And I'm sure if any Suns fans, I know a few are listening to this podcast, they would agree with me. They have all been good. Is Chris Paul the MVP? No. Does Chris Paul and Devin Booker deserve to make an all-NBA team? Yes. Is Chris Paul the MVP? No. And look, this was this is coming from somebody, again, who before the injury had Joel Embiid as one, Jokic two, and LeBron three. And then obviously when Embiid went down, that's when the hyenas started surrounding the elephant graveyard in Lion King. And they were like, all right, it's time to crown Jokic as MVP. Because there were even some that would say that were saying that Jokic was the MVP when Embiid didn't get hurt. And I just thought that was asinine and insane. But you know, it's not just the games played where Jokic hasn't missed a game. Jokic has legitimately been incredible, like he has been for the last four years, basically, when he when it was his team when it became his team. He is a bona fide tier one superstar. He has taken more shots this year, which I am glad he has upped his scoring, which everybody wanted him to do. And he's incredible. He's going to win the MVP. And it really shouldn't be that hard. And that's and that's the other thing that I don't like with this MVP discourse. Is that now with the 24-7 cycle. And you know, NBA Twitter. And I really just hate giving Twitter too much credit. But it really is a part of the NBA fabric now. And just the day-to-day, you know, once you the day-to-day switching of the rankings and people being dug in their heels and not willing to change their opinions because they want to be right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just really become muddled and annoying. And people are also, you know, probably hedging their bets because they don't want to get roasted for their ideas instead of, you know, standing trial and defending them. It, I understand it's become really annoying. And I understand the other side where people are like, oh, it's not a debate. Oh, you you are insane. All, all this other stuff, if you think differently from me. I understand that side, too. And you want to push back on that side. But this is not one of those cases where you want to push back just to be a contrarian. Jokic is the MVP. And quite frankly, I'm at the point now where it should, it should be Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. Well, I'll just give you my MVP ballot right now. It's it's Jokic, it's Embiid, Giannis third, Steph fourth, and then I'd put Chris Paul fifth. That would be my that would be my top five ballot right now. I've just been really impressed with all those guys this year. Obviously impressed with Embiid and uh, obviously Jokic. Giannis has a strong case as well. Even though it's a it's even though he was basically disqualified before the season started, and I don't care. 
if historically playoffs have also been accounted for past MVPs. That doesn't mean I have to agree with it. It's stupid. It's a regular season award. If you want to include playoffs in the MVP criteria, make it an entire year award. If you don't want to award Giannis for a third straight MVP because you're tired of voting for him and you're tired of seeing him quote-unquote fail in the playoffs, then lobby to Adam Silver to make the award a full-year award. It is a regular season award. And I have been saying this the entire time. Like, Giannis should not have been dismissed easily. And now... You know, everybody's been watching the Bucks the last few months, and they're just like, oh, wait, that Giannis guy's pretty good. Well, no, he's actually gotten better again for, like, the sixth straight year in his career. He's He knows where to score. He knows he's gotten comfortable with certain spots on the floor where he likes to score from. He has a few pet shots now. He's manipulating his offensive gravity to uh, make easier passes and reads. You could just see the games coming easier for Giannis. And also my boy Drew Holiday is just doing really well there. Shout out to Drew. Um, But Giannis has taken another leap, and he should be the MVP. I actually like this Bucks team better than the last two year, the last two Bucks teams. Uh, this, pa- this past season, 2019-20, and then um, 2018-19. I think this team has been the best team Giannis has had. Mainly because Drew Holiday is not not Eric Bledsoe, for sure. But Giannis has taken another leap. He's more comfortable shooting. He's more comfortable playmaking. He's averaging career highs in a lot of areas again. Absolutely MVP. Or third on the MVP ballot. And had a case. But it's Jokic. And that's that. Real quickly... While we're here on the subject of awards, the first teams is basically cemented now, especially with news from Howard Beck. Uh, shout out to Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated, formerly of Bleacher Report, also formerly New York Times. He's done great work everywhere. He got the memo today that, um, you know, the, the All-NBA team, it's basically set up in a guard, guard, forward, forward, center format. And so I was worried that Embiid was going to be on All-NBA second team just solely based on the fact that it was an archaic format. It was, you know, guard, guard, forward, forward, center. So obviously Jokic would have been first team, then probably Giannis, and then we probably would have had to decide, you know, LeBron or Kawhi or Paul George, even though they've all missed time. Well, Kawhi and LeBron more so than Paul George. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the two guards, But now it appears that Giannis, or excuse me, Jokic and Embiid can be listed as a center or a powerful or or a forward. And keep in mind, um, they get the points no matter what position they're listed as. If a voter votes for uh, Embiid first team as a center and another guy votes for Embiid first team as a forward, it's still the same amount of points. So it really, the positions really don't matter. It matters in the sense that we can finally get the right, or at least be more correct in terms of getting the right guys on the ballot. So I am really happy because that means Embiid should be a no-brainer first-team All-NBA. And uh, I know it's funny that he's listed as a forward, 
but I'm not going to let you besmirch the 10 minutes that Embiid and Dwight Howard played together against the Hawks back in a back in January. I'm really I'm kidding, but those minutes were awful. There is a play in that game, by the way. It was the first matchup against the Hawks and Sixers. I'll let you guys Google it. But Dwight Howard and Joel Embiid ran a dribble handoff where, where Dwight where Dwight received the dribble handoff from Joel, and Dwight drove to the basket and threw a layup that was so hard that I thought it was going to burst a hole through the backboard, and it just ricocheted off. But they played 10 minutes together in that game, and Embiid was a power forward. So, you know, there you go. He deserves, you know, to be listed as listed as a forward. I'm kidding. But either way, I am really glad. That means Jokic and Embiid should be no-brainer first team. So should Giannis. And actually, I'm going to tell you my, as I flip the page over from my handy-dandy notebook, let you know, well, at least four of the five first team guys that I have because the last guard spot is going to be pretty interesting and I'll go over that in a minute. But guard, obviously Stephen Curry, no brainer. Stephen Curry's been averaging 37 points per game on 71% true shooting, by the way, since the beginning of April and has broken his own three point records. Like I think he's put to rest all the stupid shit that was being said about him before the season started. And you know, I I hate to be one of those, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're stupid if whatever. That was really just an, that was just really idiotic discourse. Like, Stephen Curry is the second greatest point guard ever behind Magic Johnson. He's changed the game. He's a great player. He's a three-time champion, back-to-back MVP, MVP before Kevin Durant arrived, all-star before you know, Steve Kerr took over from Mark Jackson. Everybody knows that how much of a Steph Curry stan I am. I will defend that man. He is my second favorite player ever behind Allen Iverson. And honestly, by the end of the, his career, he might be my favorite. But I will defend that. I will defend Steph Curry's honor. I have done it before. I have talked about it before. And, you know, I've told the story on my other podcast, Box Out Banter, but... I've gotten in some arguments about Steph Curry before, some heated arguments, and uh, maybe I'll tell one later. But um, you might—I might have already mentioned it before. But I have—I have my most prominent one is I gotten in a drunk argument with somebody who said that Steph Curry's unanimous MVP shouldn't have happened and that he was overrated. If you could picture, you know, a scene in a movie where somebody says something really weird or out of pocket, and everybody in the room gets quiet, and you just hear the record scratch and you hear silence. That's what happened to me in my head when I heard that. And then, you know, you know, the debate started. Embrace debate. <laughs> no, that was an f- awful first take reference. But anyway, so I have Stephen Curry, guard. I have Giannis at the forward. I have Jokic at forward. And I have Embiid at the center. Pretty simple. And, you know, I'm not too sure about the de- You know, I'm not sure where I land on the whole... All NBA teams should be positionless, but I definitely think it should be like the all-star format in a way. So like guard, guard, front court, front court, front court. Just make that easier. Because I do think I do, and it's definitely me, but I definitely like a sense of tradition because I do think, you know, centers are coming back now. And yes, while the game has quote unquote gone more positionless, or I'd say more skilled more than anything, you know, there are still 
designated positions on the floor. You still need a point guard to set the table, all that stuff. There's still roles that certain positions bring value to. But I have Steph, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. And then the last guard spot, that's where it gets pretty interesting. So it's between Damian Lillard and Luka Doncic. Now, I probably would give Lillard the slight edge right now. I was looking at, you know, I was comparing some numbers, and obviously I've I've tried to watch a bunch of Blazers and Mavericks games. It seems like, you know, the Blazers were just really just banged up to start the year. They started getting their guys back about a month ago. And, you know, obviously Lillard has been dealing with a hamstring issue, but he's still gutting it through. They're right now Portland's seventh in the uh, the seventh seed, so they're the first play-in team. Um, where Lillard probably gets Luka is obviously, well, the numbers, too. He has numbers that are, you know, up to snuff, but his clutch numbers, where he's one of the best clutch players in NBA history. So Lillard is averaging nearly five points per game in the clutch, and that's defined as games that are within five points or less with five minutes left. Lillard is 21-11 and 11 in these games. He's shooting 50% from the field, nearly 39% from three, and he goes from 92.5% from the free throw line to 96% from the free throw line in the clutch. Now, Luka is interesting because the first 20 games of the season, it was apparent he was out of shape and he wasn't, you know, he was still good, but he wasn't as good as last year, nowhere near. So the last 40 games for Luka Doncic, 29.9 points per game, 8.6 assists per game, 7.7 rebounds. He has been awesome, legitimately. And he's shooting, here's the kicker. He's shooting 49% from the field, but we've all waited to see if Luka could up his three-point percentage. He is shooting 38% from three over the last 40 games, compared to the first 20 where his numbers were all down. Still a, you know, not-so-great free-throw shooter. He's shooting 69%. But um, the Mavericks are, you know, the fifth seed right now. The Lakers are falling down the the rankings. And Luka has played his way back to maybe being a first-team guard. So these last last six games are definitely going to – these last six games are definitely going to determine some things. And – Right now, I'd give Dame the the edge, but it wouldn't surprise me if Luka, you know, emerged at the end because the Blazers would finish with lower seeding. And it's not necessarily Lillard's fault, but Luka is, you know, stepping up and playing better and he has his team where it needs to be. And if it keeps up, he might edge him out. But I'd give Dame the edge right now. We'll see when the season ends, but... Those would be at least the first six that come to mind when I'm thinking about my uh, All-NBA first team. I think four of them are deadlocks, like it's not a debate. Um, I saw some goofy-ass MVP list where they didn't have Embiid on it, and you're just doing it wrong if you don't have Embiid on there. If games played, it really is something that is a detriment 
for Embiid. I just think that's just so you're basically telling me you're gonna you want twenty or you want fifteen more games of a way lesser player. Like that actually matters. Like the Sixers are going to win fifty games maybe in a condensed season, and Embiid has been the best player and the main reason why they have the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Like, that's not a debate to me. Get out of here with that. Like, Embiid should be top three MVP candidate. Embiid should be on the All-NBA team, first team. Just like Jokic should be the MVP, no debate. And first team, no debate. All right? Hate to sound forceful on this podcast, but just wanted to give my two cents on, you know, the two main topics that are going on right now. Be interesting to see who everybody has for that last guard spot. I'm sure people will have Luka there. A lot of people will probably have Dame there as well, but, you know, we'll see. But, uh, yep, that is all I have for today on this 35-minute episode or so. Um, Thank you for listening, as always. You know, I was go- I had to come with another pod this week after talking football and mainly just my team for 30 minutes straight. But thank you for listening. Leave a rating, a like, a review. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't, although I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you haven't subscribed. But if you haven't yet, subscribe. Also spread the word if you are so kind to do so. And we will see you next week. Until then, deuces.